This is Geek Gab with your host, Brian and me, Daddy Poor Pig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, October 14th, 2017. Today, we are going to be talking about Jackie Chan's The Foreigner and uh, all kinds of other awesome, awesome stuff. But before we kick that off, we're going to uh, allow... Oh, and by the way... One of our co-hosts is not going to be with us today. John is off doing real things in real life. So uh, wish him the best of luck with whatever it is that he is that he's doing. Uh, and then uh, we have an announcement uh, and a hello, I guess, I'm assuming, from my other host. Uh, Brian, take it away. Hello. So you were right. Yes. I just want to let everyone know that... Uh, Coming up on Geekab on the Books this Wednesday, we have the return of author Lucas Flint. And he's coming back for the season finale of On the Books uh, due to mounting work pressures. Still got a pretty big workload I'm uh, whittling my way through. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just call that a season. And they're showing temporary hiatus. Just take a little break to finish up some stuff and but it'll be back after the first of the year. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, so we will, uh, of course, um, you, our audience, and and, and I, uh, one of your three hosts, I'm heartbroken, heartbroken that we won't have Geek Gab on the books until the new year, but uh, rest assured that uh, we, he will use this time to not only finish his books, but to refocus, recenter, regenerate his mental energies and come back a hundred, nay, a thousand times better than before. So, um, did was John talking about like pausing on uh, Geek Gab Game Night, or am I just did I read that wrong? I think it may have dreamed it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Let me look back through the messaging timeline. So in which case, you would be down to just Geek Gab Prime, just the best gosh darn podcast in the history of podcasts for uh, for the rest of the new for the rest of this year until the new year. So apologies, folks. Um, today. Now, I, I would like to note that prior to the start of the show, I calmly and politely asked my fellow host, Brian, if there was something that he also wished to discuss on the show today. And he did not have any particular subject in mind. And so... The first part of the show rests entirely upon my broad and manly shoulders. We want to talk about a brand new movie that debuted in theaters just this Thursday. It's called The Foreigner, and it stars Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan in a thriller. Now, you have to understand something. Again, before the show started, I said to my uh, fellow host, Brian, I said, I'm going to be talking about Jackie Chan's The Foreigner. And he said, I haven't heard of that one. 
And I said, well, it just came out Thursday. See, the problem is I hadn't heard of this movie either. I have gone to the movies just about every week since the beginning of summer. There have been so many movies coming out that I've gone to the theaters just about every week. And yet, not once, not once since May, not once have I seen a single trailer for The Foreigner. I haven't seen it announced on, you know, Geek News sites that I check every day for the blog. I haven't seen it mentioned anywhere. Now, that seems to me, okay, a movie that is not in danger of slipping under the radar, but that has entirely slipped under the radar and escaped into the wild blue yonder. It's gone. It's come. It was in theaters, and it's going to be on its way out. Not because it's a bad movie, but because the studio or distributors or whomever decided not to put a lot of publicity out about this movie. Now, it's not your typical Jackie Chan movie. And when I say typical Jackie Chan movie, for me, that means like Rumble in the Bronx or something similar. So if you go into it with the idea that it's going to be a typical Jackie Chan movie, you're going to be disappointed. He does do martial arts and he does do his known acrobatic martial arts style, but that's only in the film for very short periods of time. And it doesn't dominate the movie. The movie is not a highlight for Jackie Chan to choreograph intricate, unusual, colorful fight scenes around. So it may be that they decided not to push the movie because it wasn't a typical Jackie Chan movie. I'm not sure. In any case, um, Jackie Chan plays a 60-year-old Chinese national who fought on the side of America in Vietnam and got British citizenship because of it. I, to be honest, I watched the movie and I paid close attention to how that all worked. But I never understood quite how that worked out. And it seems kind of confusing to me. The movie is based on a book called The Chinaman. Um, and so I don't know if it was clearer in the book or if they had a different origin story in the book. But it was kind of confusing how he got to be where he was with the skills he was. The bad guys in the movie are a group calling themselves the authentic IRA. They're terrorists. And they plant a bomb and blow some stuff up. This is the very first scene in the movie. It's kind of a little bit of a spoiler. But the fact is, if you go and see the movie, it's the very first thing you're going to see. And it sets up the entire rest of the movie. To know what the movie is about, I have to tell you this bit. In this bomb blast, in this terrorist bomb blast in the heart of London, is Jackie Chan's daughter. And she is killed. 
And because of her death, he goes on a rampage against the IRA. He's been trained, uh, and, and they show part of his service record. He's listed as being one of the best men in all of Vietnam at what he does. He's a guerrilla fighter. Um, he sneaks in, blows stuff up, kills people, and sneaks out. And even though that was all, you know, decades ago, he still has the knowledge and the skills that he learned. And he dusts them off to get revenge for his daughter. He tries to get help from the government several times. The government turns him away and kind of sneers at him. So he focuses his attentions on Pierce Brosnan's character. Pierce Brosnan being formerly best known as uh, James Bond in GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, so on and so forth. Pierce Brosnan is a deputy minister over Northern Ireland. And he's a former member of the IRA, of the Irish Republican Army, and has been out of the IRA for three decades, but still knows people in the movement. And because he can't get help from the government, and because he doesn't know anything about the IRA, Jackie Chan starts leaning on Pierce Brosnan's character. And it's that conflict, Pierce Brosnan not having any means to give Jackie Chan, it's that conflict between the two uh, that drives the rest of the movie. That's the spine around which everything else is built. And the movie has a lot of twists and turns. Characters who are introduced briefly at one point turn out to have uh, their own hidden agendas, which drives some of the events that happen. And things get blown up. People get shot. Martial arts get dealt out. And that's the movie. Now, the movie is, uh, I found it enjoyable. It's a good movie. It's not as good as other Jackie Chan movies, Actually, let me say this in a different way. That's not quite true. It's not as frenetic. It's not as high-paced. It's not as high-action as other Jackie Chan movies. He plays um, a man who is depressed, a man who is driven so far down, beaten so far down, that he's very, very quiet. Jackie Chan, you are used to being smiling and ebullient. You're used to him being um, grinning, being very happy whenever he's on screen. In this movie, he's very depressed. He's very, uh, you can see him in almost every scene. He's deep, deep, deep inside his head in despair, thinking about his daughter that died, thinking about that events happened to his family when he, they were escaping China thinking about all sorts of things, and it's it's a very wrenching portrayal, possibly the best cinematic performance, the best acting performance Jackie Chan's ever been, but at the same time, 
it means that he's not playing what you expect from Jackie Chan. He's very quiet. He's very withdrawn. He's very matter-of-fact. He's very short-spoken, very soft-spoken. He issues threats very, very quietly. He's not theatrical in, uh, in what he does. And even his martial arts are toned down. They're not theatrical and amusing the way his martial arts normally are. Um, and so it's a very, uh, it's a thriller. Again, it's not a martial arts movie and it's not an action movie. And so you have to go into it with that expectation. But taken as a thriller that breaks kind of the typical Jackie Chan formula, I found it to be a very enjoyable film. I found the plot twists to be enjoyable other than one, a major, major plot twist, which I saw coming mere seconds after the character came on screen and was actually proven to be correct. So, but you know, I was correct in a different way. The movie actually went a slightly different way than I expected, but I was still right about it. So it may be that some of the plot twists you see coming, even though I did, I still found it an enjoyable movie. Um, I'm trying to come up with anything else I can say about it. I went to it. I paid for it. I watched it. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Jackie Chan does a great job. Pierce Brosnan does a great job. Um, it is... The movie has been made by uh, or produced by Chinese production companies, not Hollywood production companies. And there are three actors that I have seen in big roles before. Um, Pierce Brosnan, Jackie Chan, and Orla Brady, um, who uh, is in Into the Badlands, is where I've seen her before. So she hasn't been in uh, big, big movie or TV roles, she has been in, um, I mean, she hasn't been in big, big movie roles. She's been in several TV roles, but I don't know that they're the kind of, of, I don't know that they're the kind of TV roles that a lot of people have seen unless they saw one specific show. Um, so she, uh, she does a great job, but the movie primarily rests on the performances of Pierce Brosnan and Jackie Chan, and both of them do a great job. And uh, I did enjoy the movie, um, and so I would I would give it as a grade. It's it's a B plus thriller, um, which is a really solid grade coming from me. Um, and if you have the chance and you want to go see it, uh, and you like Jackie Chan or Pierce Brosnan, go see it. It's a good movie. Um, it's not super superb. It's not great. It's not the second coming of Die Hard, uh, but it's still a good movie. It's enjoyable. I would right, solid recommend. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, sounds like a, a solid recommend. That's something a, a little bit different from Jackie Chan. I think the last movie I saw of his in the theaters was Shanghai Nights, I think. Oh, yeah. I saw that in theaters. When was that? When did that come out even? Oh, that was a long time ago. It was well over a decade ago. Um, uh, yeah. And Shanghai Nights wasn't as good as Shanghai Noon. Um, no, the title wasn't even a pun. Uh, yeah, Shanghai Nights is 2003, so well over a decade ago. Oh, wow. Um, he, he uh, as... Uh, Kestis Kel, uh, or excuse me, as Nathan Housley uh, pointed out, most of his recent movies haven't gotten a lot of, um, haven't gotten a lot of publicity or buzz. Um, mm -hmm. 
they have uh, Rush Hour 4 is in production, but let's see. And he's done a lot of voiceovers in animated movies, like Kung Fu Panda. Um, he played the monkey in. And, uh, man, I haven't seen... I haven't seen... I've seen old Jackie Chan movies. I haven't seen a new Jackie Chan movie in a while. I might have to... Uh, I might have to redress that uh, that deficiency. By the way, they also are coming out with a sequel to Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights called Shanghai Dawn. Really? Um, so it's been announced. At least it's in IMDb is being announced. They don't have a year listed for it, so. I don't, who knows where in the production it, it is. Now, let me just shrug a bit. I Very few movies that have gone 14 years between entries, uh, between sequels, turn out to be great. Um, True. All right. The only news I can think of this week is kind of big and it isn't political but it is politics adjacent um getting into dangerous waters there but go ahead you, you know of which i speak right you know what i'm trying to edge around to see if we want to talk about it for the last few minutes of the show i think so but li listen to your heart um i have watched the video you linked to um by uh, Stefan Molyneux about him declaring independence from Hollywood. Um, and I, I, let's talk about that aspect of it real okay. quick, because that'll keep us away from the icky stuff, and that'll also keep us away from the politics. Just okay. it, as a quick announcement, I'm assuming most people who are listening to the show know what I'm kind of hinting at. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, one half of the Weinstein brothers, uh, co-owner of... 45% uh, of the Weinstein Company, also founder of Miramax, uh, heavily involved in a ton of movies over the years through uh, Miramax. For example, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, its American release, was a Miramax movie done through the Weinstein Brothers because they licensed it from China, uh, from its original Chinese release. Um, so a ton of movies, far more movies than you might think are intricately involved in the Weinstein's business dealings. Um, and the Weinstein brother, uh, Harvey Weinstein, has been revealed to have been, to the surprise of no one in Hollywood and, and people who are paying attention outside of Hollywood and also not surprised, um, a serial... Um, Gentleman of extremely ill manners when it comes to the fair sex. Um, touching against someone's will and so on and so forth and things that are far more graphic and far more um, disgusting that because of the uh, rating of this show, because of the family-friendly rating of this show, we're not going to discuss in detail. But if you want to, the details are out there. Ronan Farrow, who is Neil Farrow's son, uh, Woody Allen's son, had this story all lined up on NBC, uh, and they killed it. 
They spiked the story. So he went on for another year, paying for the investigation, paying for the crew out of his own pocket until he had all the interviews and all the facts, got it vetted and had it published in the New Yorker, cracked open, um, which astounds me because Ronan Farrow's uh, fully correct, his knock so far is that he's a lightweight. And he kind of is. Um, he's he hasn't done anything of note. He doesn't seem to have shown any spine before now, but he stepped up to the plate with this story and knocked it out of the park. Um, and so congratulations to him. I was very, very impressed when I found out he did it, not only for doing a great job as a journalist, but also for surpassing his own innate character to do this. Weinstein, since the story came out, he's gotten fired from his company. The company itself is in meltdown as agents and artists refuse to work from the company, are trying to get back their projects from the company, are, um, you know, abandoning the company in droves, banks aren't loaning them money. And the company is, uh, according to stories that just came out, the company is uh, going to be forced to shut down. Also, Weinstein, uh, in addition to being fired from his own company, uh, has lost his wife. Um, his wife has uh, left him and is in the process of divorcing him. I don't know. I, I doubt that that's already happened, but uh, has left him. And many, many more people are coming out with stories about Harvey Weinstein, including actress Rose McGowan, who went on a tear on Twitter a couple of days ago and got suspended for 24 hours because of it. And uh, many stories about people adjacent to Harvey Weinstein, such as Ben Affleck and so on and so forth, are also coming out. Now, it's possible this will dampen out, that no more people will come forward or that people will be intimidated. It's also possible that the scandal could continue to grow, dragging in more and more people in the Hollywood uh, hierarchy and revealing the kind of dark, seedy underside of, of apparently most of Hollywood. Uh, and people are also, once again, talking about Elijah Wood's accusations and Corey Feldman's accusations. Again, we, I don't want to talk about them on the show because they're really disturbing and gross, and that's just not our thing here. Uh, you can go to other places or go to Twitter to find out more about those. Um, I personally am hoping that the that a lot more information comes out, if only to drive and shame these people. Uh, who are abusing men and abusing women, actor Terry Crews. Now, I, if you know who Terry Crews is, he's huge. He's a massive man, was at a Hollywood party with his wife, and a Hollywood executive came up and uh, sexually assaulted him. And if a Hollywood executive can grab Terry Crews with absolutely no repercussions whatsoever. If Terry Crews is afraid of saying anything because he'll have his career destroyed, you have to wonder what people who are not six foot something massive bodybuilders uh, who are fairly famous are going through. What, uh, you know, young, unknown Hollywood uh, actors and actresses who are trying to get their break, what they have put up with. Absolute impunity these people have been acting with. So... Um, They're calling Pharaoh Ronan the accuser, which I approve of. In, um, in connection with this, Stefan Molyneux released a video 
And since Brian linked to it and suggested people watch it, which I did this morning, I watched the video. Um, I'll let him summarize the video. So, we, and I want to use that as a springboard for the discussion for the rest of the show. Okay. Well, if anyone listening isn't familiar with Stefan Molyneux, and you you should be, he's uh he's huge on on YouTube. He's uh he's got the most watched philosophy program on YouTube. I mean, in the English speaking world, as far as I know, and um. He's kind of like a Canadian Zordon, if you want to get an idea of what he looks like. But, uh, he's, he's a great guy. He is the second best boss from where of next to friend of the show, John C. Wright. And since he was a young man growing up in England, he's, he's loved movies. You know, he would go down like to double feature or an all day cartoon film festival or something and just, just sit there and, and be entertained by whatever they were showing and he does film reviews on his YouTube show and they're some of the best film reviews that I've ever seen because he breaks down the movies like in, in relation to philosophy not just from the standpoint of contemporary politics but digs into more of what's going on beneath the surface and some, some of the ramifications implications of the plot and character that you might not have seen at face value. And so he's had a lifelong love affair with movies. Um, it's, it's not a secret that he had kind of a messed up childhood. He had some challenges as a kid and movies are kind of a cathartic release. You know, they're kind of a comfort for him when his road was a bit rockier. So he has every reason to want to, to still, you know, cling to Hollywood to, to try to find a reason to keep patronizing them and philosopher that he is, he couldn't. So from what I understood, he's just not seeing new movies anymore. He is, he's done. He's not going to the theater. He doesn't want to take any chance because like Daddy Warpig said, we don't know how deep the corruption goes. There, there are already rumors like on, on poll that um, another big name producer is about to go down in connection with Weinstein. So, yeah, Steph can't count on his money not subsidizing the, the degradation of young starlets, young stars, you know, young actors and actresses who might have to do horrible things to, to get and keep their careers. So he's decided he's not going to be part of that, and he's breaking up with Hollywood. Uh, one of the things he said um, was that Hollywood dangles fame and fortune in front of uh, attractive and talented young people. And they use that as a lure to say, you can have fame and fortune if you defile yourself first, if you do these you know, horrible things first. But if you don't, if you, if you refuse to play ball, you won't have a career. You'll be blacklisted and you'll have to leave and go back. And, you know, all your dreams um, will never come true. So the people he refers to as being ugly, um, and, and he does it in a very visceral way that I'm not going to try and duplicate because it's uh, he really uh, aptly 
and um, viscerally uh, describes the creepiness of uh, these people who are use their position and use their power to try and um, harass or coerce people into doing things that they um, that demean them, that defile them, and hold money and power out in, or money and fame out in front of them in order to to induce them to do so. So vividly, he does it very vividly. So he has declared that he's not going to financially support this system because he doesn't want his money to be um, to be part of the money they dangle in front of actors and actresses. This is reminiscent of an argument uh, that we mentioned before when the uh, when the blog post first got posted by uh, Ace of Spades made a similar um, made a similar argument in re in regards specifically to Disney. Um, so I've got some opinions that hold for me. Um, and I'm just wondering what you thought of the uh, what you thought of the argument, Brian. Was it persuasive to you? Yeah, I thought a lot about it. And I have to say, I, I know where Steph is coming from. I, I feel much the same way he did, but those just feelings I had to look at if in the cold light of logic his argument held up and Personally, I couldn't insert a razor blade between any of the building blocks of his argument, uh, but I, I can't gainsay him. So, uh, will you be doing the same thing? Has he yes. persuaded you to that extent? Yeah, and honestly, I have been doing the same thing for a while. Like, um, I, I haven't gone to many movies, and like when, when I have. If it's been like a review, a, a big movie that's coming up for the show, I will try to look for a movie from like a smaller or indie production company if possible, or someone that I know at least isn't as evil as like say Disney and buy a ticket for that one and then just go into the theater for the Disney movie because really it, uh, it keeps the theaters per cap up. As long as you get concessions, they're usually fine with it. You know, I used to manage a theater. I know they, they really don't care. So I've been doing that, but... Um, since, like Steph said, we we don't know how deep the roots go here. You know, in good conscience, I really can't even do that anymore. Like until, like in, until they sort this all out, and we know that all the malefactors have been brought to justice, or until the Chinese just come in and buy Hollywood. Which, um, you know, I wrote a post about someone. You know, now's the chance, guys. Now's the once in a lifetime chance to just buy the movie industry and fix it. Um, my response is I certainly can see where Stefan Molyneux is coming from, and I'm not going to cast aspersions at him for making the decision that he made. Um, nor am I going to cast aspersions at you know everyday ordinary people who just want to go see a movie and have a good time. Um, it's not... If the movie they're going to see is uh, isn't in and of itself as a piece of work um, 
bad or morally reprehensible, then there's no, they haven't done anything wrong as far as morality goes. Now, they can make their own choice, but I'm guessing most people aren't going to make the connection Stefan Molyneux did. And I think that, not that he has, and not that you have, and not that anybody would, but I think that um, criticizing people who still go see movies in the theater um, would be a, a step too far. Um, people want to make their own decisions, that's great, uh, but criticizing other people who still go see movies is a step too far. As for myself, I've got a... Uh, I don't want to call it a job because I'm not getting paid for it. I've got a position. I've got a role that I have to fulfill, and that requires me to go see movies. Um, just a just a fact of a fact of life for me. And so I'm going to keep doing what I need to keep doing. Um, and whereas I respect his courage in taking that stand, and I understand the um, the reasoning that led up to uh, taking that stand. Um, People have to decide for themselves based on what they um, they feel is right for them, but also what, what is practically um, what is practical for them. If it isn't practical for them to uh, to do what Stefan has declared that he's doing, then um, then they don't have to do it, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't feel bad about it. I don't think that anyone should feel bad about it if they continue to go see movies. Um, I'm gonna include a link to Stefan's video, by the way, in the description of the video, so you can uh, you can watch it for yourself if you're so inclined. Um, do you have a <laughs> Do you have yeah. a rebuttal? Well, not so much a rebuttal as a clarification. I, I can't disagree with what you said because yeah, every every person's conscience has to be free to make decisions without coercion. But in terms of the moral calculus, you know, so there to get a bit deep for a minute into philosophy, since we talk about a philosopher, there are two dimensions when it comes to deciding moral culpability for an act. So there's proximity, you know how close you actually are to being the one to pull the trigger and then formality, which is how much do you will the outcome? Okay. So buying a, a movie ticket for a movie that, you know, you know, like buying a ticket for a Weinstein company picture. Okay. At, at that point, you're a pretty proximate cooperator with evil. Now, you're almost certainly not a formal cooperator. Like you're, you're not going there saying, I want to help finance Harvey's scummy habits. No, your, your moral object and you know, your motive is being entertained by a movie. But at the same time, you know where your money's going. You're, if, you're doing a good job at describing your own thought processes and what is convincing to you and what is convincing to Stefan. But that's not going to be... Um, it's not going, normal people, regular people are not going to have that kind of thought process. And that isn't what's going to convince them or what would convince them to act or not act. They're not going to assign 
formal categories to things and assess it based on deriving uh, conclusions from those formal categories. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, it's the old dialectic versus rhetoric dichotomy. And I'm, I'm a dialectic speaker. And, um, and, I'm, in fact, a Thomas, I'm an Aristotomist philosopher, as uh, Kennedy Khan pointed out. So. The ironic thing is, Stefan Molyneux talks about just this situation in that video, where people uh, don't have a formal set of philosophy that they live their lives by. They have a set of opinions and attitudes and values that they've inherited uh, through interaction, through tradition, through uh, being raised, um, through reading what other people have said and being convinced or not being convinced by them and so on and so forth. And so the vast majority of people absolutely do not have an organized approach to uh, making decisions based on moral calculus in that sense. Yeah, um, it's probably well south of 10%. Um, but yeah, that's the thing about reason, though. Uh, what reason is, is it's what uh, lets you know that your thoughts are in line with reality. So that's how I approach it. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's a difficult situation for a lot of people. I can totally understand it because, look, I'm of the opinion that this is deliberate and concerted to some extent, that they are... There are parties who are trying to take away not just all joy from people, but now any pleasure as well. They don't want us to have any legitimate pleasures even. They want to grind us down. You know, they they want us to have to put the red star in our window or face consequences for the purpose of making us easy to control. And luckily people are building parallel institutions. It's, it's happening slowly, uh, much more slowly than it has to, I think, but uh, there, there are a lot of other people who could be doing something who have to make their own moral calculus, you know, and decide, like, is it worth my reputation or my job or my family? So yeah, we're, we're in for a bit of a, a bumpy road, and you know, everybody has to make a decision that conforms to objective reality and conforms to moral norms. So I think that the interesting conflict, the showdown uh, in American culture is going to be between people who have political opinions that the mainstream considers odious, but who are actually decent people who believe rightly or wrongly odious things that society rejects on one hand and on the other hand, openly corrupt people who espouse the correct, uh, the socially correct beliefs on the other, um, and the the way that's forming up is really really interesting. Um, we are out of time, but I want to do a little rant before we go, or at least a little position paper. Um, By all means. Is there, is there, do you have any other closing comments before, uh, before I take this on? No, do not let me steal your thunder, sir. Go for it. Okay. I had John Delarose on the show on Monday, and we were talking about the, um, 
long-running whisper campaign that Cat Rambo, the head of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, carried out against him, him being a science fiction and fantasy writer, a professional science fiction and fantasy writer, and uh, also Hispanic, just for writing an article which gathered figures, facts and figures, from several uh, major, perhaps the major, magazines in the sphere to decide whether or not women or men had an edge in getting published. And the results of his analysis uh, were that women had like the four times the chance of getting published. Still very, very small, uh, but still four times the chance of getting published than men do. Um, was so upsetting to people, so upsetting to the narrative of, of a certain brand of people who depend on victimology, excuse me, depend on victimization to give themselves social credit, social prominence, and also a feeling of moral superiority, uh, a moral certitude. They are only, they only feel like they're a good, normal, decent, per worthwhile person if they're a victim. If they're victim, if they're doing the victimizing, then they can't feel like that. Or if they're not a victim, they're just like everybody else. They can't feel that way. And so, being told, "No, actually, you're not a victim," enraged these people. They went after John. They tried to destroy his career, and we had a long discussion a, a, about it. And I concluded with a point that I wanted to make. And he said afterwards, "I don't think we talk about." the point you concluded with as much as we should. I don't think we talk about that as much as we should, and I think we should talk about that more. So this right now, in connection with Weinstein, is me talking about that point more, and that point is this. You fight a culture war by making culture. You fight a culture war a war over the content of stories, over the content of movies and TV shows and comic books and, and video games and role-playing games and, and everything like that, by making culture. You don't fight a culture war by canvassing for votes, by voting in an election, by getting your particular candidate elected. I'm not saying that political participation is worthless. I am saying that the only way to fight a culture war is by making culture, and specifically by making culture that's better than the other guys so more people want to read it. Now, culture, uh, politics is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from morality. There are feedback mechanisms going up, however, but that's the general hierarchy. If what you want to do is to influence the culture so moral people have movies they can watch that are entertaining and uplifting and whatever. Uh, if you if what you want to do is make stuff that is good and great, or, or see stuff that is good and great in society, you either need to go out and do it yourself, make it yourself, write books, you know, write comics, whatever, or you need to support people who are even if they are not as of yet right now at the uh, skill level of those who've been doing this for decades, support those people because they are creating a, an alternative to the corrupt mainstream culture. 
HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, The Weinstein Company, um, what used to be known as ABC Family, um, and so on and so forth. These cultural institutions are corrupt, and they are peddling corruption. So if what you want to do, and, and you're going to say, well, Daddy Warpig, what about all those people who make really, really bad stuff? You're right. There are a lot of people out there who make really, really bad stuff, stuff that is cringeworthy or eye-rolling or boring. The solution is not to ignore bad stuff. The solution is to foster good stuff. The more money that goes into good alternative culture, the more people will be drawn to it so that they can make a living at it. That's how you fight a culture war. One group of people, those with the talent, makes alternative culture, and the audience supports them with money. That's the only way it can work. So my position, my belief is that there has never been a better time to fight a culture war than now. Through Amazon, we currently have a distribution channel that means people can be indie authors and don't have to submit their books to the gatekeepers in New York. And many other art forms have the same freedom. We haven't yet seen that open up for music. We haven't quite seen that open up for movies. Um, although the success of the red pill uh, in getting put on many, many streaming services and so on and so forth is pointing out that it can't be done. And they may be a pioneer in that area, uh, a trailblazer to where other people can follow if they can make decent movies that people want to watch. So if you're concerned about this, so, so this is the point. All of these tactics, all of these details aside, that's not the main point. What I really want to say is this. The people we are fighting right now, and the most common name for them is SJWs, they can't create. They have, for whatever reason, they can't create, or at least they don't create, ever. All they do is go into a field, video games, comics, so on, appropriate characters from that were created by other people, creative people, turn those characters to propagandizing their ideology, and then destroy those characters as the audience flees. And, and destroy whole companies and even possibly um, entire art forms are seeing this rot and are failing. Stores are shutting down. If you are a creator, if you write books, if you make comics, whatever, you have a clear advantage. You're better than them because you can create and they cannot. Do you see how big an advantage that gives you? You can create, they cannot. You can create new characters or you can take existing characters and write new stories. You can take two ideas and combine them together and produce something new. You can create. There is a built-in competitive advantage there.
And so the main point, the primary point, before I get kind of lost in the weeds there, apologies, the main point, the primary point is you can fight and win. We can win. This is not impossible. It doesn't matter how many institutions they've captured or co-opted or assimilated. All that matters is that you are better than this than they are, even if you're not very good right now. You are better at this than they are, even if you're not very good right now, because you can create. And so if we endure, if we continue creating, we will win. Because they can't outcompete us. Do you see how fundamental a truth that is, if you want to grasp it, how big that realization is, how important it is for you to realize, to understand, and to hold on in your own personal struggles when it things like seems like things aren't going well. Understand that you can beat them. And if you endure, you will beat them. Now let's take writing. You may say, well, my writing career isn't going the way I want it to, or I'm not very good. That's fine. Maybe you're not a fiction writer. Not everyone is. Not everyone has the, the talent or the skill set. Maybe you're an editor. Maybe you're someone who can be absolutely genius at editing. It doesn't matter where you are. We need all kinds of people. If you're interested in fighting the culture war, pursue your interests, pursue where your talents take you, and contribute how and where you can. If you're not a writer and you're not an editor, and you're not an illustrator, you're not a graphic designer, well, maybe just buy good stuff you see out there. It is up to us. There is no cavalry over the hill that's going to come and save us. We are the cavalry. We are the people coming to save the culture. So fight and endure and you can win. Create culture, help other people create culture, support creators who are doing good work, and we can push back against this corrupt culture that has taken over so much uh, of the media. I have gotten to a point where the truth is so simple to state that I can't embroider it anymore. It doesn't need a long, lengthy explanation.
These people can't create, we can, we win if we endure. That's it. Everything else is details. Everything else is practice. Everything else is getting feedback. Everything else is doing it again and again and again to become as best as you can be. And you don't need to be good. You need to be good enough to outcompete these people. Just because you can win, just because you have an edge, doesn't mean you don't need to work. That's it. Do you have a? Do you have any uh, amplification or comments before uh, we take off? Well, I I think I join our listeners in giving you a virtual standing ovation, because you you just hit the the target dead center. That's how it is. Uh, not not only can we win, we we are winning, we will win. If you look at science fiction, like in, in print and ebook, the market share of the converged traditional publishing, you know, the SJW in, infiltrated big five New York publishers compared to indie has flipped in the last couple of years. Or indie's now a majority, went from 60%, 40% to 40, 60, basically. And that wasn't even politically motivated authors. That was just uh, like a lot of mid-listers who weren't getting phone calls back from their editors of the big five or who had a big back catalog that got the rights back to and just decided to strike out on their own and did way better than they ever had before. So the, the economic in, incentives are there, right? Re reality is with us. And like you said, um, the rest is just, just practice. It, it, it's just uh, the, the hard, inglorious work of getting up every day and putting your butt in the seat and just typing. That, that's all we need to do. All right. Um, I want to thank Brian for coming on the show. Um, uh, thank everyone else, everyone who tuned in live to participate in the chat. Geek Gab is available on the iTunes Store. We're available on the Google Play Store. We're available on SoundCloud. And we're available, of course, on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Um, if you subscribe, be sure to double secret subscribe so you can receive the announcements about when we're going live so you can come and participate in a live chat. Again, we've had a lively discussion in the live chat, so we appreciate uh, everyone who turned in and joined in the discussion. I'm trying to slow down my outro here, because if I slow down my outro, then it will give me a moment or two to think of anything else that I might need to mention uh, before we go. But I honestly can't think of anything that I haven't mentioned that we need to already. We appreciate everyone <laughs> who listens to this show. We appreciate everyone who is involved on the correct side, um, on the side of goodness and light in our uh, raging culture war, and I invite anyone who has the ambition to write novels or make comic books, now is the time to give it a try. I can't guarantee that you personally will succeed, but it is possible for you personally to succeed. And discover your talents, hone your talents, discover your interests, 
and do what you can to help provide a worthwhile culture to the next generation. Stories are where people learn what right and wrong is and where people learn that it is possible to oppose and defeat evil. A culture without stories is a rootless culture that is akin to a plant without roots. As soon as the slightest gust of wind comes, that plant will fall over and die. A culture without stories to transmit its values is a dying or dead culture. We need stories. We need storytellers. And there has been no better time than now. If you have such aspirations, give it a try. You may not succeed, but even so, you can help us win. This has been Geek Gab for Saturday, October 14th, 2017. We're signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.